What's up, everybody? Welcome to Space Talk. I'm your host, Athena Brensberger. Some of you might already know me as Astro Athens. And uh, this is my very first podcast ever. And I've been having a blast on here. One of the reasons why I love having the podcast here on Colin is because any of you guys who are listening could actually call in and chat. So I did currently set the room to... Um, just for the beginning portion, um, I've switched off the ability to call in right now, but I'll open that about halfway through just so that we can get to everything we want to chat about today because uh, there's really cool stuff that you can catch this week in the night sky. Uh, so I really want to get into that. Um, but then I'm going to open it up to all of you guys. If anyone wants to call in and say hello or you, I want to ask a question or maybe you read some space news that you want to share. The whole purpose of why I made this podcast is to, well, for one, talk everything space, but also to have an open conversation with anyone who ever wants to join or chat about um, anything that maybe you're interested in. Um, I just realized, I think it's been like four days since my last episode. I feel like I've like really missed doing this. I really miss sitting in this closet <laughs> and doing, doing this episode. Let's pull that microphone a little bit away from my mouth. I feel like you guys probably just got blast it in your ears for with my laugh. But um, regardless, we've got some really cool stuff to jump into this week. Before I do that, I just want to say happy Monday. And um, we have, have started our interview series. So if you're interested um, in maybe sharing anything that you're working on, whether it's research or project or I don't know, an art form, or maybe you want to talk about something that, again, you maybe you heard in the news, um, shoot me a message. You could DM me here on this app, or um, you know, you could always like contact me through my website, ashtrathens.com, uh, and I'd love to give you the mic and hear your story. So uh, we've started the interview series. Our first interview was excellent, or should I say excelente. Uh, it was with Dr. Intergalactic, also known as Jose Mori. Dr. Jose Mori is an incredible human being, so inspirational, and I think you should definitely check in and hear his story if you want to lear learn a little bit about what he's doing with a media company he started called Ad Astra Media to help um, not only like help share more content in science, but also to um, really share that and get that out to tons of kids around the world, um, kids that like you know, are, are not typically represented in whether it's movies or films or comics or, or in science in general, this really has um, a platform where um, kids can feel a sense of representation of, of people who look like them, who, are, who have a, come from where they come from. And he does this through comic strips. He does this through um, sharing the stories of role models. He does so many incredible things on his site. And he also has a really interesting story. So um, that was an hour-long podcast. It was so much fun. So if you want to listen to that, just check back at the last episode and give that one a listen. Um, and the next one we have is going to be this Friday, which is now so, so funny. He, so uh, Jose Mori uh, is originally from Puerto Rico. And now our next guest is actually further cent uh, South America. So this is Central America. Now we're going down South to Brazil. So we have the founder and owner of Nave, which is a fashion, a space fashion brand. It's called Nave, N-A-V-E. Super cool space brands. I have a few of their shirts already. Um, I've known about them for a few years now. 
and uh, the owner reached out and wanted to come on. So we're going to be chatting with him. So I was practicing my Spanish in the last episode. This next one, I'll have to practice my Portuguese. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, but I'm really excited regardless to just speak with him about um, his story and what his brand is all about. So that'll be Friday. Um, we also have this week, we have launches. Uh, and then we have historical figures. And then, of course, today, which are our space events for week four of January. So now... Um, I'm going to just go ahead and jump into the content that I created for my email list, which is um, what I send out. It's called my weekly transmission. If you'd like to receive that, you can just go ahead and you know, either send me a message and send me your email or go to ashouts.com and you can sign up for it. Uh, but we've got lots of cool things to look forward to this week. So let's go ahead and start with that. Um, I'm going to start with astronomy term of the week. Uh, I tend to... Yeah, I tend to make this somehow correlated with whatever the must-see celestial event is or space history, just so that you have a little bit of context. And so um, the term I chose this week is Van Allen Belts. The Van Allen Belts, it's a radiation zone of energetically charged particles around Earth, originating from solar wind and captured by Earth's magnetosphere. Now, the thing is, it's not just Earth that has this. Um, other planets as well, who tend to be located closer to their host star, and that's because the star literally emits high amounts of radiation, solar winds. And when this interacts uh, with Earth's electromagnetic field, when this actually gets captured by our magnetosphere, it creates um, this really kind of cool pattern if you look at any 3D models of it. But the most important thing is it protects the planet. This protects the planet um, and its atmosphere from getting completely destroyed by the harsh, energetically charged particles coming from the sun. And this could destroy the atmosphere and inevitably any life on the planet itself. So that being said, we've got a little bit of discussion about the Van Allen belts in space history. So I'm going to jump into space history. So this is uh, for January 25th to the 31st. And on January 31st, our two events that I found are for the same date, but, oh, same date, but different year. January 31st, 1862, the dwarf star Sirius B was discovered by the telescope maker Alvin Clark. So if you ever want to look at this on a map, just in the Canis Major constellation, you've got uh, the Sirius star, then you have the Sirius Beta star, which is the dimmer one of like Sirius is the brightest, it's the alpha star of the constellation. The alpha star is usually the one that is the brightest. Beta is the second brightest. And that, then that continues following the Greek alphabet. So this is right around the time it was discovered in 1862 on January 31st. Then on January 31st in 1958, the U.S. Army Ballistic Missile Agency launched Explorer 1. Explorer 1 was the first U.S. satellite. This was launched from Cape Canaveral, Florida, using a Jupiter-C rocket. Now, this later, this, um, this satellite was actually the one to later discover the Van Allen belts. So this is why I mentioned the Van Allen belts earlier. This ended up being a very significant, important discovery of the International Geophysical Year. So this ended up just being really monumental um, and really exciting to know what else is basically going on around our very own planet, which a lot of times we don't necessarily know. 
Then moving into our musty celestial events. So those were just two space histories um, that I found for this week. I'm sure there's a lot more uh, when I was doing a little bit of my my gathering of information. That was the most I was able to find. But we're going to jump into our musty celestial events for this week. On January 29th, that's coming up very soon, a few days, the moon is going to be passing underneath Venus by about only 10 degrees. So 10 degrees in the night sky, they're going to be very close to each other. This is going to be at around 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and facing your southeast horizon. So look southeast, January 29th, about 9 p.m. Eastern, and you'll see the moon just underneath Venus by about 10 degrees. So anyone who's doing any astrophotography out there, any maybe just pictures of the night sky, doesn't have to be anything too fancy. Um, it could be a really cool moment to capture that. Otherwise, just witness it, watch it, see what it looks like. And during this time, uh, the moon is actually moving out of last quarter and towards a crescent. So by then it should be uh, pretty close to its crescent moon phase. Then on January 30th, the moon is going to pass underneath Mercury by 8 degrees. This is at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So just the next day, you can also catch another really cool alignment with the moon and a planet, and that is Mercury. So 8 degrees apart, so not that far apart either. That should be pretty cool to catch. 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Also facing southeast horizon, by the way. Didn't get to mention that before. And then for any of our early morning risers, January 28th to the 30th, just about 30 minutes before sunrise, facing southeast is a combination of a few different planets. We've got Venus, Mars, and Mercury, and the crescent moon are all aligned in the constellation Sagittarius. So we've got three planets on our moon. And all that is going to be aligned within the constellation Sagittarius. It's about 30 minutes before sunrise facing southeast. So if anyone uh, maybe gets up early, goes for a morning jog, or just works early, uh, that should be a really awesome view for you to catch. And this will be starting January 28th in four days and last until about the 30th. All right, I'm going to do a quick music break, and then we're going to get into our deep sky objects. Alrighty, let's jump back into it. We have got one really cool deep sky object. Um, so just one, but it's one of my favorites. Uh, it's an open star cluster, which sometimes can be some of the most brilliant uh, space objects to see, especially deep sky. And what's really exciting about them is they're usually visible without a telescope or pair of binoculars. Um, so that's that's a really beneficial thing if you're going stargazing and you don't have any of you know any equipment. On January 31st is the M44, or also known as the Beehive Open Star Cluster, 
M44 is a really cool cluster. It's actually a combination of usually, like, re- re- mostly uh, young blue stars, but there are some uh, main sequence stars found within that cluster as well. And it's a really brilliant cluster. It also has a catalog name of NGC2632, in case you wanted to look that up. And the cluster is going to be placed pretty high in the sky for both the northern and southern hemisphere, but for um, only like countries that are located between 89 degrees north and 50 degrees south. So go ahead and check what your location is, your latitude, um, and then just see where exactly you're located. It should be pretty good for most of the U.S., uh, most of also Central South America, uh, that it cuts off just at about the southern tip of South America. So just go ahead and check that out about where you're located. Visibility is between 89 degrees north, 50 degrees south. It's at a magnitude of 3.1, which would be awesome to see with a pair of binoculars, but you probably also could see it if you're in a really dark sky. So go somewhere where there's not a lot of light pollution and you'll be able to see this open star cluster and you should be able to see it without binoculars or a telescope. But of course, if you do use just a small pair of binoculars, it'll look really um, just so much more brilliant than you'd be able to see without it. So as far as how you could see it, I'm going to start with the North Hemisphere. The Northern Hemisphere, it's going to start to rise at about 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. It's, it's 1 o'clock UTC. And it's going to start at about 17 degrees above your eastern horizon. Pretty low, not that high up, so wait a little bit because it reaches its highest point at about 12.32 a.m., so it's not super late. It's not 3 o'clock in the morning. It's pretty early still. It's 12.32 a.m. Central Time, and it's going to be 75 degrees above your southern horizon. That's really high, 75, you know, because, like, the highest point would be 90. That would be directly overhead. So 75 degrees is pretty high up. You'll be able to catch that. And again, if you want a little bit of a tip of how you can see things in the night sky, if you stretch your arm out at arm's length and you make a fist with your hand, the average adult fist is about 10 degrees. So if you start stacking your fist from the horizon and going all the way up, that will eventually be 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, and eventually 90 degrees is directly overhead. So this is going to be a really cool open star cluster, the beehive cluster, visible, don't need binoculars, but it'll help to have a pair. Peak visibility, about 1230 a.m. Central Time at 632 UTC and over your southern horizon at 75 degrees. Now for any of my friends in the southern hemisphere, so I was talking about the northern hemisphere, so like U.S., Canada, um, let's see, parts of also Europe and Russia, Asia, different parts as well, just anywhere north of the equator. But now we're going to go south of the equator. So anyone who is in the Southern Hemisphere, wait until just about, let's see, this would be 11 p.m., about 16 degrees above your northeastern horizon. Again, really low. 16 degrees is not that high. Most likely, if you have any trees or buildings, they'll be in the way. So wait, if you can wait late, Wait till about 1.40 in the morning. Well, I know it's really late, but, you know, make some coffee, get your binoculars, go camping, hang out with some friends. At about 1.40, it'll be 36 degrees above your northern horizon. So face north, 
at about 36 degrees up will be that beehive open star cluster. So this is going to be January 31st as a reminder. And make sure you uh, pack a pair of binoculars if you want. Otherwise, if you don't have any um, binoculars or telescope, go to a really dark sky and you should be able to see it without binoculars. And uh, it should be really beautiful, really gorgeous open star cluster. And uh, it should be, yeah, it should be a brilliant, brilliant sight to see. The last thing I want to talk about is the moon phase of this week. So we are currently just now entering the last quarter moon. It's reaching its last quarter phase on January 25th. So tomorrow at about 1, 8.41 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So at 8.41 a.m., it's going to reach last quarter. And then eventually, as I mentioned earlier, by the 29th, when you have that really cool alignment with the planets, it's going to be in its crescent moon phase. And that personally, I would say, is some of the best times to catch alignments of the moon with the planets because when the moon is in a fuller phase, like half or full moon, um, it can block out a lot of the visibility of the planets because it's so bright. The planets will look dimmer because the, the brightness of the moon a lot of times will obstruct the visibility of the planets. But because it's a crescent moon, you have more of Earth's shadow blocking the sun, the, the light coming from the sun, casting a shadow on that moon, and you're seeing just a thin crescent, and then the planets should look really bright. So I hope you guys get to get out um, sometime this week and catch any of those uh, really cool celestial events, whether it's on the 29th and the moon is passing under Venus, or it's the 30th um, or the 28th, which is when you have that early morning rise of both Venus and the moon, and then eventually that combination of Mars and Mercury, all within the constellation Sagittarius. So that should be really cool to see if anyone wants to get up about 30 minutes before sunrise. All right, so we're going to do a very short music break, and then I'm going to open up this conversation to my listeners. So if anyone wants to join, you can join after this music break. Alrighty. Okay, let's jump back into it. So if anyone wants to join the chat, um, just go ahead and click call in in the bottom of your screen. And um, I'll be here. If you have any questions, let me know. Um, I'd love to, to chat with you about anything that uh, that might be interesting to you. There is some cool stuff that's been happening um, just recently in the news. So I, I'll chat about that in the meantime. But you know, at any time, don't worry about interrupting me. You could go ahead and just click that call-in button. So the James Webb Space Telescope. Oh, awesome. We've got a caller. All right. Let's go ahead and take that. And then I'll... There we go, Lauren. You are up. You go ahead on... Hey there. Hey. I, I do have a question for you on your, uh, your, transmit, your weekly transmission. There's something called a beehive cluster. 
Yes. Why is it called the beehive cluster? Is that just because of the shape of the arrangement of stars? That is such a great idea. And I, I personally do not know. I feel like it probably has something to do with the way that it looks. So I'm going to go ahead and look that up real quick. But think about how a beehive cluster or a beehive even looks. A beehive, it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, we we probably have all seen something like that. And when you have all the bees sort of hovering in and around this, um, this beehive, it can kind of look like a bunch of a cluster of stars. So I bet that's why they, they've named it that. Um, this would have been Charles Messier who probably named it, um, since it's a Messier object. Um, although there could have been another astronomer who discovered it, but I'm glad you asked that. Um, let's see. Why is it called the Beehive Cluster? Oh, this is so great. So this is on cosmicpursuits.com. So many cool astronomy websites. Okay. It says the beehive cluster is named that because it looks like a hive of bees. It's easily visible to the unaided eye in a dark sky, and it kind of just looks like a misty cloud. Um, I have seen it before, uh, like in in the night sky. It's not as prominent as the Pleiades. Have you ever seen the Pleiades star cluster before, Lauren? I have not. I have outside of pictures. No. <laughs> okay, it's you know it's actually like not super tough to see if, if you've ever been to a dark sky, you might've actually yep. seen it and maybe just didn't know it, it was, it was, that was it. Um, but super prominent to see that cause you can count seven of the brightest stars, which is why it's called seven sisters. Uh, yeah. Um, cool. but there are a lot more than seven in the cluster, but <laughs> the beehive cluster, um, I haven't seen it before in the night sky, but apparently has this little bit more of a, a misty kind of foggy color, not fo- color, but uh, sort of a, a shape and structure to it, which can, I guess, sort of, sort of, uh, yeah, m- mimics a beehive. Um, All right. I'm glad that you got the transmission. If you look at the image that's in there, it, it does look, um, I would say quite similar to the Pleiades because it has who, the person who had taken that image um, really got, like those sharp blue stars in there. Right. Um, but usually when you'll see it with the unaided eye, it won't look like that, unfortunately. But <laughs> like right. it'll, that's okay. <laughs> uh, but that, but that's, that's so awesome, though. I'm so glad that um, that you caught that uh, and that you were wondering about that. I hope you get to go out and, and see that. Um, I'll be on the 31st. Right now, right now, I am trapped under a blanket of fog in the northwest. Oh, no. Oh, just <laughs> uh, astronomer's nightmare. oh that's so great well hopefully well it's not great it's terrible but hopefully you know you'll be able to see something soon um that's really cool i'm just curious do you have a pair of binoculars or any telescope that you use i I currently do not okay it would would all be naked eye stuff for me right at the moment but got it someday soon someday soon that will be uh, changing (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's definitely, honestly, just grabbing probably a pair of binoculars you could find at like a sporting goods store. Um, there's like ones, I would say probably like, uh, I bet there's ones for like $15, $20, $20 probably I've used that just ended up being some of the best ones I used. Like I didn't need to get some fancy, you know, $200 pair, which yeah. um, I've used before and, and they're great. But the ones for um, that are like just a, a ten times magnitude end up working phenomenally for this type of stargazing for clusters um, and nebulae. And usually, when you want to see galaxies, it'll be helpful to have a telescope. That's that's the only thing. Um, right. So hopefully, you'll get one soon. That'd be cool. Very cool. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs>
All righty. If anyone else wants to join, um, just go ahead and click the call button. Uh, that would be really awesome. If you have uh, any questions, um, I'll be here. So again, no worries about if uh, you know if you'll be interrupting me because you're not at all. Um, so in the meantime, what I'll do is I'll chat a little bit about the James Webb Space Telescope. A lot of you guys might be wondering what's going on with that. Um, I just was reading a little bit earlier as far as um, an email came through at Reach Lagrange Point 2, um, which is really excited. So it just made it there. We actually look up James Webb real quick. Um, I think for anyone who wasn't you know, listening to maybe the episode when James Webb launched, this is going to be just the next generation space telescope. A lot of the photos that you probably have seen of taken of space were taken by something called the Hubble or Hubble Space Telescope. Really great, great space telescope, um, but it's orbiting Earth. And so it's a little bit more limited as far as how far it can see, not just because of its location, but also because of the technology we had when it launched in 1991. Uh, and so now with being able to launch James Webb that has all these different mirrors that are working together, you're able to now capture much sharper images of objects and it can even see further back into the universe. So if I may say so, looking back in time, you're looking at objects that the light has been traveling for millions of years and it just reached us now. So we're seeing things that um, existed at the very beginning of the universe. So it's going to bring so many cool new um, just perspectives and, 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 and research and uh, images of our universe. Another thing I want to share was uh, Lagrange Point 2. So where exactly is that located? Um, so Lagrange Point 2 is a sort of point of gravitational equilibrium. So basically it's now at a point where it's both, I think this is the one that is between Earth and Mars. Let me double check that so that you guys don't quote me wrong. Um, where L2 is located. Let me double check. Yes. Okay, so... There is this point that is between Earth and Mars, uh, but it has an equal balance of gravitational effect of both Earth, the Moon, the Sun, and then Mars. And what it's able to do is remain within the stationary orbit. Um, so this way it's, it doesn't you know, go floating out into space and we lose control of it, but it also is able to image so much more of the sky. It's able to image a lot more of... Um, what's around it. So if you wanted to do research with the um, James Webb Space Telescope, you can request time. And once you request time, you then will put in certain points of where you want to look. Maybe it's looking for exoplanets. And so you're looking in a direction where there might be a lot of low mass red dwarf stars and you want to explore that region, point the telescope in that region. However long you have the time period for, um, of this, you know, the time that you would be able to use the scope for, you'll be able to then take images and collect data and collect information, um, infrared wavelength, be able to collect uh, different like spectrometer readings. And then you can figure out what exactly is going on in that area. Now, this is really cool because uh, both Hubble and James Webb will be working at the exact same time. So they'll be working hand in hand. And that's going to just be, I would say, double beneficial because now you have two space telescopes that basically can now tell you, okay, yep, this is an accurate reading of this area of the night sky. 
as opposed to just having one source of information, you now have two. So that's a, a pretty, I would say, like straightforward kind of reason of why it's um, beneficial and important. But either way, we've been waiting so long. Anyone who's been kind of following the process of James Webb launching, we are just we've been waiting so long for this to happen. So it's really exciting that now it's in space at its home in Lagrange Point 2. So far, so good. Operating successfully. I don't think I've really uh, read much as far as uh, like any problems of deployment of any of the equipment. So that should be pretty good. And let's see. January 24th. So it just arrived today to Lagrange Point 2. Or, or also known as L2. And um, soon we're going to probably start seeing, I can't wait for those first images to come back. Uh, another thing is I can't wait for some more uh, exoplanets to be discovered, not just from James Webb, but also from TESS, uh, Transiting Exoplanetary Survey Satellite. We did a whole episode um, on exoplanets. So if you wanted to learn more about that, you can go back to the Space Talk channel, scroll through the episodes. I believe it was episode maybe like 14 or 15, uh, and then you can listen to that episode. But on that note, since uh, it doesn't look like I have any other callers, um, I'm just going to end off by sharing a little bit of what we have to look forward to this week um, as far as other episodes here on Colin. Men mentioned earlier that I started uh, my interview series. So I've got, uh, let's see, we just did Dr. Intergalactic last week. That was really exciting. We have... Um, a, we have the founder and owner of Nave Space Fashion Brands this Friday, which I'm really excited about, uh, calling in from Brazil. And then um, actually, this is what I was going to mention earlier, and then another friend of mine <laughs> that may be calling in actually from Colombia in a week from now. So that'd be really exciting. She is a space electronic music uh, producer, singer, writer, songwriter, um, and that's going to probably be really epic. But um, if any of you guys ever want to join definitely shoot me a message. I'd love to connect. Uh, so I will chat with you guys in our next episode, which will be to explore our historical figure of the week, which is Hypatia. And after that is going to be our launches for the week or for the month of February. All right. So that's about everything. And I hope you guys get to go out and explore the night sky this week. Hope you get to see the beehive cluster. And until next time, add Astra.